Because a lot of people say, well, you know, if I just focus on my strengths all the time and I ignore my weaknesses, then um, I, I'm clearly not going to be successful. I'm not going to get ahead. And the strengths approach does not mean, and I want to repeat this, does not mean <laughs> that you ignore your weaknesses. Quite the contrary. Through a better understanding of our strengths, we also understand our biggest sources of weakness, which are our overdone strengths. Because often what's perceived as our weakness is actually not a weakness at all. It's actually areas where we tend to overdo uh, our strengths or use them inappropriately or in the wrong way. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. A few months ago, I was delighted to connect with James Brook, who has an amazing wealth of experience in human resources, leadership development, and talent management. Many of my clients have done StrengthScope, an assessment platform founded and led by James, which he has then sold in 2018. James helped StrengthScope grow and become a successful global assessment and talent consulting business with its flagship assessment now used by companies all over the world. During his time at Strainscope and now as a founder and MD at Plexus Leadership, James has led and designed, developed and customized award-winning solutions to improve leadership, coaching and organizational performance for a wide range of UK and global organizations. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know James and his work a bit more. And in this episode, we discussed an important topic for the first time in this podcast. What are employers looking for in assessment tests? James and I also discussed the importance of knowing and leveraging your strengths for better career alignment, progression and advancement. But before we continue with the interview, I want to update you briefly on what I'm up to. This week is the last week of the Job Hunting Made Simple group coaching program. And I'm absolutely delighted with the engagement of the group, the positive feedback that the program is receiving from them and their results so far. It's so great to see these great professionals coming out of their shells and performing well in their job search. Managing the group coaching plus my private clients, LinkedIn audits and consultations has kept me super busy. So I will be taking a three week vacation. I'm so excited. And I will only during this time uh, be working with my private clients when they need my help. I'm not going to be doing any LinkedIn audits or consultations for three weeks until beginning of May. Other than that, the plan is to really switch off completely. But don't worry, I have pre-recorded great episodes for you. So you will have those episodes coming weekly. And of course, the newsletters will continue to reach your inboxes as well. If you're not yet signed for the newsletter, what are you waiting for? Please do find the link in the episode show notes or you go to my website and sign up there. It's renatabernardi.com. 
And when I'm back from my well-deserved break, if I may say so, I will be looking to A, sign up new coaching clients for three or six month projects and also B, I will be updating my educational platform for another job hunting made simple group coaching, which will be starting early August. I know it sounds like it's a long time away, but it is not. It's going to come really quickly and it gives you time to really consider if this sort of group coaching format is for you. And, you know, the job hunting made simple program is um what I say, you know, we're playing a short game and a long game. It's about really uh, being strategic about your next career step. So think about um, joining in uh, early August if that's for you. If you're interested in private coaching, however, you have to email me as soon as possible for us to have this first chat because I can only take a few new clients at a time. I can't, you know, my my time is limited and uh, private coaching takes a lot of my time and I can't take more than a certain number of clients. But if you're considering the group coaching program in August, please register your interest on my website. And I'll also have the link in the episode show notes, because when I know that you're interested, I'll keep you uh, in the loop and up to date with how things are progressing. All right, let's now listen to James Brooke. And I hope you enjoy this chat. Well, good morning to you. Yes. Hi, Renata. Yeah, good morning. And um, it's 5 p.m. here in Melbourne, and it has been an absolutely glorious day today. And I don't know what to say about the weather anymore. We had the worst summer in terms of weather. It's been so wet. I don't know if you've heard about the floods in New South Wales. I saw that. Yeah, no, yeah. I saw that. You've had, you've had a very wet uh, uh, wet summer, haven't you? And all the kind of uh, a lot of parts of Sydney got flooded. Yes, that's right. And yeah. then I spent the weekend, uh, uh, a few hours this weekend, putting away all my summer clothes. And as soon as I did that, James, guess what happened? <laughs> it's 27 <laughs> degrees and I'm so hot. <laughs> that's, that's typical, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we've, we, we've, had, we've had some strange weather as well. Um, uh, we, we, had, we had a really nice um, Easter um, last weekend, uh, particularly the kind of Saturday and the Sunday. Um, but now the, the temperatures just plunge now. Um, so we, we're back into, it feel, feels a little bit like uh, midwinter again, oh, last wow. few days. So, well, um, but it's, at least it's... At least it's clear outside, so it's it's relatively clear and bright. So now we had a great Easter here too. Now um, this podcast is going out in a few days on Monday mm-hmm. okay. because we postponed it a few times, and I didn't want to change the schedule. Um, so this is great because then you can tell me how the situation is going in the UK, and you know, give me some understanding of how things are going, and then we can share that almost in real time, really, with the with the listener. So that will be great. But why don't we start by talking about your career? Sure. What what would you like to know? Well, I like to know, you know, give the listeners a bit of background as to your experience and your expertise and where you are right now, what you're doing right now. Sure. So I started um, actually um, as a research fellow and lecturer at University of Cape Town in the area of organizational psychology, occupational psychology. And I, I realized that acad- 
I wasn't really cut out for academia. So I left academia and moved into employee relations in South Africa, which was a very interesting time in South Africa because it was still during the period of apartheid. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a trial by fire uh, experience for me because I was dealing with some quite active um, unions um, in uh, black, black unions in South Africa. Um, and of course, uh, they didn't have any, um, the, the black majority didn't have any um, uh, a way to express uh, their political frustrations other than through the workplace. So there was a lot of kind of stayaways and strike action and that sort of thing. And then I, I came over to the UK um, uh, uh, a few years later because I was born in the UK, so I wanted to, to come back and I came, came to the UK um, and uh, got, a, got a role uh, with a big financial uh, institution uh, as head of uh, employee relations. Um, worked in that. Uh, also did quite a lot of work in diversity and got some awards, which was great for the work in diversity that we were doing at the time. Um, and then um, decided that I wanted to kind of move out of employee relations and move into leadership development and learning and development, which um, created um, some really interesting kind of uh, avenues for me, um, both not just in the UK, but um, I was actually uh, expatriated to Denmark and also to the United States working in, in, in um, a pharmaceutical company, um, a global pharmaceutical company uh, in the area of uh, leadership development and, uh, and talent management. Um, and that really led to, Renata, to cut a long story short, that really led to um, several other roles, including a role of head of um, uh, talent management and leadership at Yahoo uh, in Europe. And uh, then I left the corporate sector um, and started um, my own business, uh, which um, was a, 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 a strengths-based business, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, a little bit later. Um, and I spent 15 years building that and sold that three years ago um, and uh, have run several consulting uh, companies since then as well. So, so yeah, I've, I've had a very kind of varied career, both in terms of type of roles, um, sectors, um, but also... Yeah. Uh, in, t- in terms of um, opportunity, which which has been fantastic and different challenges along the way, both entrepreneurial challenges, but sort of corporate sector challenges and so on. Yes, I think that this breadth of knowledge you have in HR and, and uh, learning and development will be fantastic for the listeners. And I will dive into it in a minute. But this is, may sound a bit meta, but you probably heard this podcast before. So, you know, I ask my guests strengths. It, you know, it's always my second question. <laughs> and, you know, what is the strength that you think allowed you to make those very successful career moves? Um, I'm very curious to know what you well, believe I, are your, your top strengths. Yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a constant learner and a very curious individual. Um, but also, uh, I'm a creative problem solver. So mm-hmm. I, and in fact, I, I do some training now on, on creative problem solving for my clients. Um, which I think is a is a is an underutilized kind of um, skill area and and strength. But but some people I think it comes more naturally too. And I think I combine my creativity with my courage, and so I'm willing to challenge the status quo. I'm willing to look for opportunities to do things differently. I'm I'm, I'm willing also to take risks in the pursuit of of uh, kind of innovative ways of approaching things. And and even strength scope when I founded strength scope. Um, uh, kind of all those years ago, 15 years ago, that was really uh, um, my desire to really challenge the uh, prevailing assumptions and approach to employee development, which was 
broadly kind of deficit based, weakness based at the time. And I wanted to kind of flip that on its head and approach it more from a kind of a, you know, we've all got strengths and let's kind of focus and leverage our and optimize our strengths, not ignore the weaknesses, but let's kind of um, have the start point being the strengths. Yes. Now, with the situation that we have at the moment, uh, when, you know, still in the middle of a pandemic, some countries are doing better than others. Australia's doing quite well. Uh, UK, not so much. Um, let's talk a little bit about that and then um, think about the strengths that can pull us out of that as, you know, as corporate leaders and professionals. How How is the situation in the UK at the moment for corporate professionals looking for work or looking for career advancement? Um, I think it's uh, it's still relatively tough. That's what I'm hearing and seeing, um, you know, with, with my corporate clients and people I know, my network and so on. And and, and clearly, you know, for some sectors, it's, it's better than others. I was talking to a, a, um, a tech founder yesterday and she was saying that her business has grown significantly during the COVID period. So she had no, no complaints, of course, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, about COVID because uh, they, they've experienced kind of exponential growth during this this period. But for the majority, I think, um, particularly in the large corporate sectors, I think it's been tough um, because, first of all, um, there's there's, uh, there's less growth, uh, so there's less opportunity for people, there's less headroom. Uh, organizations are kind of flattening their kind of hierarchies and delayering, you know. So, for for example, if you look at uh, um, sectors like oil and gas and financial services, you know, they're closing divisions and, and delayering, and that means fewer jobs are available. But things are starting to pick up here. And I think whilst we haven't been successful at managing kind of um, infection rates and so on, although I'm sure Boris Johnson would uh, beg to differ, but we haven't been. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the death rate's been very high in the UK. We've been pretty successful in terms of the rollout of the um, vaccination program. And um, so there's a there's a kind of a growing optimism now. Um, and that's resulting, of course, the, the flow through of that is that um, you know, CEOs and CFOs and that heads of HR, you know, CPOs, those sorts of people, they, they, they're starting to spend again and invest again. So we're starting to see kind of more investment coming through and that's leading to more opportunities in terms of job, job creation. But it, it's very patchy. I mean, certain yeah. sectors that have been hit like travel, you know, is obviously still on its kind of its knees. They've been hit really, really hard, um, by the pandemic. Um, so my contacts in the travel sector, um, you know, are, are still frustrated by the fact that things are going very slowly and, you know, there's, there's not a lot of optimism there. Growing optimism again, but not not um, a great deal of optimism. Um, whereas, as I say, other sectors like like tech, digital, fintech, the, those sorts of kind of areas, they, they're really starting to, to grow uh, um, yeah. uh, grow, grow sort of uh, again, which is, which is great. So the green shoots are starting to appear. Yes, yes. Uh, same here. And travel and tourism for Australia and our neighbor country, uh, neighboring countries around here is so important. So it's very frustrating. Um, but looking at the strengths that can pull us out of this, that may be um, part of the selection criteria or prerequisites 
for executives looking for work. Uh, we have a friend in common, Marianne Rowe, and Marianne and I have discussed this on this podcast a couple of times. I'll put the link below for those who want to go back and, and listen to those episodes where we discuss things like personal agility that she's very fond of mm. and her um, expertise is in uh, jobs of the future and industry 4.0. What do you believe are the key strengths that employers will be looking for in candidates in the sort of months and years ahead? Mm, I think agility is a big one. Uh, so the the ability to be adaptable and flexible. Um, I, I, but I think there's a lot more. I think uh, also there's things like um, uh, uh, being open to learning, being curious. Um, so kind of that, that learning mindset is really important. The ability to connect with others, uh, both um, face-to-face, in person, but also remotely. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, the sort of the, the so-called kind of emotional intelligence as well, so the self-awareness, the self-regulation, as well as the kind of the, the social skills. Those are going to be really important. And then I mentioned it earlier, and it's something that, that I think is a key strength of, of mine and I've built experience and skill in, which is this creative problem solving and ability to think differently. I think it's going to be so important uh, uh, moving forward. Um, and I, as I always make uh, uh, make this point to, to clients, um, and I'll make it to your audience as well, this is something that can't easily be replaced by AI. You know, this, this this can't be done by machines and robots uh, easily. It'll take decades before we're at that stage. So it's a little bit like some of the kind of emotional intelligence competencies around empathy and around, you know, uh, um, social skills, uh, understanding others deeply and so on. You know, the, these these are, are, are really important areas uh, for people to be thinking about for future careers. Um, and, and companies really value uh, people who can think differently, who can think creatively, because, of course, the, we, we we now moving into an era of what I would call fast innovation. Um, coming out of COVID's accelerated that. Uh, so uh, it's amplified that. So um, there's an upward trajectory in terms of uh, the pace and nature of, of innovation. And there's been a lot of disruption. You know, for example, if you look at kind of you know the, the the fintech companies, the agritech companies, the you know all these sorts of companies. Um, they 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 innovating uh, obviously to outpace their competition, but many are innovating because they have to. For example, if you look at the um, the need to become uh, you know a green company to be a more environmentally friendly um, company and reduce emissions, that uh, gives rise to the need to innovate. So there's push factors, but there's also pull factors in relation to to innovation. This is really interesting. It kind of, it's paradoxical to some of the conversations I've had with clients today, uh, twice. (laughs) And I'll share uh, it with you and the listeners too, because I'd love to hear your views on this. I'm completely agree with you about the creativity and problem solving and this sort of thinking outside the box and having foresight instead of forecasting tools that are cannot be replicated by bots or anything like that. Um, however, when we look at position descriptions that are brand new and coming out to market now, uh, this this client of mine was stepped on the shoulder by a colleague already in this organization saying you would be perfect for this role. But when he looked at the position description, the 
must have, the top must have, he doesn't have. <laughs> and, and the same again with um, another client of mine, I received um, a notification on LinkedIn, a personal message saying, Renata, you have such a great network. Can you think of someone for this role? We need more applicants. And I immediately thought of this client. It was, I thought it was perfect for her. I sent her the position description without looking, I have to say. And she wrote back, oh, but I don't have the first item in the in the dot points. <laughs> and you told me that the first item is usually the most important one. And I'm like, oh, boy. So there is this um, slowness in catching up with what the new mode of working is in terms of being a bit more flexible and also acknowledging that these are experts and experienced professionals but the position descriptions I feel like are still being designed for professionals of 10 years ago I don't know if you have that same feeling in the UK yeah, I know what you're saying, and and I think it it relates to um, where who's writing those position descriptions, um, because because often the people that that are writing them, uh, you know, especially in bigger corporations, more traditional, more kind of um, conservative type corporations, they might still be relying too much on um, proven experience and also qualifications. Um, but um, many of my uh, fast-moving clients, fast-growth clients, the, the ones that are the scale-ups, uh, disruptive clients, if you want, they, they don't rely as much on position descriptions um, yes. because they know that. And we always used to have a saying when I was at Yahoo uh, and I was responsible for resourcing at Yahoo at the time. We always used to say, don't pay too much attention to the position description because it'll be outdated within three months because the organization was moving so quickly. And, and I think that's, uh, I think, uh, more appropriate thinking for these current times that, yes. that, that we're in, that we really need to look beyond the experience and qualification requirements, you know, what business school or, you know, how many years experience somebody has. And we need to look at, you know, transferable um, capabilities. We need to look at uh, some of the, especially kind of the, the so-called sort of softer skills, which are increasingly important in, in the workplace. And we need to look at mindset as well. You know, ha have people really got that kind of growth mindset? Are they willing to learn? Are they willing to adapt? Are they willing to grow with the organization? Are they willing to uh, uh, learn how, for example, to, to think differently? Um, and, 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 and I think those organizations, and, and that's proven by, if you look at the fast growing organizations, and even if you look at, um, you know, I, I, I'm a kind of a part-time investor as well. And one of the um, fund management groups um, that I invest with, they um, are all about picking companies that are the disruptive innovators and the fast-growing innovators. And they've outperformed um, <clears throat> virtually every other fund management company in the world in recent times, mm -hmm. um, and especially during covid um, so, uh, and why is that? Well, because these companies, um, you know, hire in a different way, they promote in a different way, and they operate in a different way. They manage and mobilize people in a different way, um, and and they they're not constrained by by uh, by position descriptions, yes. um, and, and and limited thinking in in the way that they hire people and they deploy people and they motivate people. That's a great, great point. Um, 
in the recruitment and selection process. So we have the, the job descriptions, the, the position descriptions that usually people need to be very flexible when they're looking at it because otherwise it overwhelms the candidate because, you know, nobody's a superman or a superwoman. They, they can't tick all the boxes. So um, uh, let's say they go through that first um qualifying process they got through usually now the second stage is some sort of test and you're an expert in that so I'd love to ask you about uh, the different tests that recruiters and hiring managers use uh, in the recruitment and selection process for for jobs because uh, we haven't tackled that in the um, the podcast yet so it will be the first time we talk about it and I'd love to know why are they important? What is it that the recruiter is trying to, to know by using tests? Yeah, so Renata, it's all about um, uh, gaining additional insight and gaining additional data uh, information about uh, the candidate. And why uh, is the recruiter wanting to do that? Obviously, to make better hiring decisions and to reduce the risks associated with hiring. And there's considerable risk for a company um, in the same way that there's risks for, uh, for the, uh, the candidate. Um, if, if they join the company, there's always kind of risk. And, and, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to kind of de-risk the decision insofar as, as possible. Um, so, um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's both to, to provide insight and, and to reduce the risks, uh, essentially. And it, it provides more objective. I mean, if you're using the right uh, psychometrics um, or psychological assessments, um, it's it's essentially uh, what it's doing is it's um, it's uh, you know as I say helping make make better decisions, reducing risks, um, and ultimately you also know your candidates better when they join. So that's the kind of third key reason, um, and you can kind of get them ramped up uh, quicker. Um, so yeah, it's providing a different lens and a more hopefully. <laughs> more objective lens although I do worry about the quality of some of the assessments out there yes well me too um, I am skeptical about um, a lot of tests and I wonder if there are there is built-in bias um, and if they apply well for diversity and other metrics that are you know usually um hard to measure what is your take on that well the company i mean again there's varying practice out there some companies um you know don't do their due diligence on the assessments they're using it's not just tests it's assessments because there's other work simulations i mean something that's very popular at the moment is something called situational judgment tests which is providing people with a with a situation um, uh, you know, it's a description of a situation that they might encounter. For example, you know, you uh, applying for a customer service role, and it might be a, a really tough customer service situation, and you have to choose from a selection of possible responses in terms of how you would approach that situation. So these sorts of there's and, and there's work simulations, role plays, and you know, presentation type exercises, all sorts of kind of personality tests. Um, you know, ability tests and so on. But your point, coming back to your point around around uh, bias and, and what we call adverse impact, um, any good test publisher will research and continue to research the validity of the test, including does it have any adverse impact? So, um, and and 
again, any good test publisher will publish the data around um, the fact that there isn't any adverse impact, or if there is, um, it, it will be transparent about that. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of um, poor test publishers out there, and uh, some of the the HR um, professionals, and I was I was one of them for many years in corporates. They're not doing sufficient due diligence in terms of asking the right questions, um, and so there is inherent bias, uh, and there is adverse kind of impact built in to to some of these some of these tests. So, for example, the test that's developed in the US. Uh, might be used in Asia or Australasia without doing the necessary research. And you shouldn't do that. So if you're going to use a test in, you know, uh, Australia that's been developed in the US, you need to do what's called cross-cultural equivalence testing mm-hmm. to ensure that it's valid uh, within that population group. Um, so, uh, and that, as I say, that, that is often not done, unfortunately, by, by, uh, the, the test publishers. James, can a, a professional practice for tests? Is there a benefit in doing them and practicing before you do them for a recruitment and selection process? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, and I always, um, advise, uh, candidates to uh, practice ability tests, um, because, um, you know, they might have done kind of, you know, uh, uh, maths and comprehension and so on at school many years ago, um, be quite advanced in their career. And, and many companies will use, um, three types of ability tests, uh, are very common, uh, verbal reasoning, numerical reasoning and critical thinking. You can practice all of those and most of the big test publishers, have uh, practice tests. Most of the good uh, publishers have practice tests, so you can practice those. What I would definitely not encourage people to do is to try and practice or fake personality questionnaires or motivation questionnaires, because um, th- th- there's no point in doing that. And actually, there's there's a lot more risk and harm uh, than good that can arise from that. So we should approach those um, in a very natural, authentic way, respond, you know, resp- respond uh, instinctively in terms of who we are, um, rather than trying to second guess what the hiring manager or the organization's looking for. Um, because that, that will trip you up when you get to interview and uh, the hiring manager or the recruiters, or the HR persons probing some of your responses uh, and you might give a different response. So they're yeah. trying to really understand who you are at your best. What are your strengths? What are some of your kind of weaker areas, improvement areas? And, and you know, what, what are your preferences in terms of in terms of personality? So there's no right and wrong answer. So I would dissuade people strongly from yeah. doing any practice uh, around those. In fact, some of the um, uh, personality profiles have what's called uh, faking scales, which are built in. So there's another good reason not to, um, you know, try and come across in a particular way um, uh, or, or respond as you think the employer wants you to respond. You should just respond as you are and, and, and as I say, in a, ver- a very authentic and honest way. Yes, that's very interesting. In fact, I have seen uh, people receive, for example, the strength scopes test and be completely surprised by the results and say, this can't be right. I'll have to sit for this again. <laughs> and then they do, or they do a different strength test and it comes somewhat similar. And that's when finally they realize that that is 
you know, that is the right result. They, these are their top strengths. What do we do with them now? But I have seen clients quite reluctant to accept the results of, uh, for example, strengths tests. It's quite funny to, to go through that. And also the other funny thing that I think is um, very human is to check what your weaknesses are straight away to <laughs> look for all the gaps yep. instead of focusing on all the good things that you can do and all your top strengths. They, they are upset by what the results are not showing. Have you had that experience with clients? Oh, yeah, there's a human tendency, um, Renata, and that's proven through research to focus on the deficits, to focus on the weaknesses, especially uh, uh, amongst really high achievers. Um, you know, they will often go to the kind of the weaknesses and the deficits first. Um, and um, we, we always encourage them to focus on on the strengths. But what I would say in relation to the point you've just made, which is a very good point, if you don't agree fully with the profile when you see it, um, you know, find an opportunity to share um, your views uh, about about the profile and about kind of areas of disagreement with the um, recruiter, with the hiring manager. At the same time, though, keep an open mind mm -hmm. because the test might be uncovering a blind spot for you. It might be uncovering something you don't know about yourself. Yes. So, um, uh, you know, keep an open mind, but do reveal any kind of if there's any, if you feel there's any sort of disparity, anything you vehemently disagree with or whatever the case may be, do speak up. Don't keep it to yourself. And the other thing I would say, uh, and this uh, um, uh, might be a point you haven't heard before, but if you do a, a, a bunch of ability tests and you're feeling really off on the day, you know, maybe you. You know, you dragged yourself into the uh, test situation or you, you're kind of doing the test remotely and you really weren't feeling uh, well. Just let the HR person know and ask uh, for the opportunity to retake the test. Okay. Because I've had, I've had some candidates in the past who have done that and I've allowed them to retake the test and their results are very, very different. Okay. So this is something else, um, you know, in those unusual, uh, uh, extraordinary circumstances, as I say, something's happening for you. Yes. Um, you know, do, do ask to retake the test. Don't be afraid to do that. That's a great advice. And I'm not surprised that it happens because the amount of cortisol in your body, if you're stressed or anxious about some, either the test itself or something else that happened uh, during that day in preparation for the test can really affect uh, people's performance. How about, James, when um, you do a test as part of the recruitment and selection process and then you are not considered for the next stage? What can you read into that? Is it possible to get feedback from most recruiters about the outcome of your test? What does it mean for the candidate when they haven't been chosen to proceed after doing tests? Or mm, this is another this is another great point Renata and it's something I feel very strongly about because there's a lot of bad practice out there uh, in that um, the people giving the test um, and it's not always the HR department but often it is the HR department or the recruiters if it's been done through a recruitment company they don't um, build uh, time for feedback into the process and I, I think uh, particularly when you've reached a shortlisted stage, you should always ask for feedback and persevere and, um, you know, be be uh, quite audacious in your approach if you're not getting feedback. 
um, because everyone is owed feedback if they invest time and effort in filling out these these tests. And it's really important for your learning and your kind of your your understanding about yourself and what your strengths are and what your improvement areas are and so on. So um, I, I would I would uh, say you know just just persevere and make sure that you get that feedback. Um, even if you have to kind of uh, break down some doors to, to do that. <laughs> um, it's, it's, so, it's so important. And, and I think we do need to, as a profession, I mean, the HR profession and the, you know, the uh, uh, psychometric profession, we need to start um, really stressing that as part of the kind of the, the, the ethical code in terms of administering these tests. And we always say when we train people in, you know, whether it's strength scope or any other test, whether we train people in these tests that, um, you know, you really need to give your candidates the opportunity to uh, see the results, but also not just to see the results, to debrief with someone the results. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. And it's becoming harder and harder for candidates to get uh, feedback these days, at least here in Australia, some places in the US as well. Depending on the country, for example, in New Zealand, I believe it's mandatory that you give feedback to all your candidates and uh, people that have moved from New Zealand to Australia really uh, struggle with the fact that they are not getting feedback anymore so they don't know what's wrong with their applications so that's a and it's the same here renata in in the uk it's exactly the same that that a lot of people get very frustrated because they don't ever hear they don't get feedback and it's becoming even worse quite frankly with some of the ai applications now um where the applications are managed by bots and they're just screened in or out and people don't get any feedback it's just you know an automated uh, email that comes out to them and says no your application is not getting taken further So so there's a lot of bad practice out there, but it doesn't mean you have to put up with the bad practice. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, uh, when we were discussing what we were going to talk um, today, James, one of the things that you were really keen to discuss was the the area of strengths, agility and confidence, efficacy. Um, It's great that we've connected. You know, we both are very interested in focusing on our clients' strengths and you have built a business around understanding people's strengths. Uh, Why is it so important for corporate professionals to focus on strengths? I'll give you an example. Um, If you're a tennis player and you know you have a great backhand, you're going to strengthen that to win a game. If you're a corporate professional, it's very rare for um, a professional to know uh, from the get-go what their strengths are. They usually need a little bit of time to identify those. Usually they get a coach or a mentor to support them or do an assessment to understand their strengths. And even then, they um, struggle to focus on that for their career advancement. They many times try to invest in their weaknesses and lift those up uh, rather than um, investing in their strengths to make uh, those stand out and and amplified. I would love to hear your views as to um, how you have worked in your career to develop this strengths-based approach to career coaching. Sure. So let's look at why it's so important. Well, first of all, um, you know, we've got to to love what we do. As, As Steve Jobs famously said, 
You know, um, we spend so much time working in our career that we've got to love uh, what we do. Otherwise, we're going to have significant regrets, um, you know, at the end of our career if, if we haven't kind of um, enjoyed what we've done. But enjoyment is also really important. Uh, enduring motivation, enjoyment um, is really important, passion, if you want to call it that, uh, for um, another reason, which is that we can make a bigger impact when we loving what we do in whatever field we we choose and, and we're more likely to achieve success, whatever success means to us, because success means different things to different people. And strengths, uh, the definition of strengths is underlying qualities that energize us and enable us to do our best work. It's all about, you know, um, uh, playing your strengths and kind of really kind of loving what you do. And your strengths are going to help you kind of stand out through your career. In the same way, for example, I talked about my courage, my creative thinking, also developing others, uh, learning. These are all strengths of mine, and they've enabled me to, you know, stand out in my career and make a real kind of difference, make a lasting impact. So I, I can I can genuinely say that I've left the world a more positive place uh, when I when I uh, pass away or when I retire. Um, and I think most of us um, want to do that. Um, deep down, we we want to do that. Um, a lot of people clearly never achieve that, but at least we aspire aspire to do that. So um, going back to to strengths is really important to kind of understand our strengths to find opportunities that play our strengths, not be disingenuous with ourselves. There's no point in kind of lying to yourself. Uh, for example, if you see a job which has an attractive uh, salary attached, going for that job, but then we find actually it doesn't play to our strengths and we're miserable and uh, work becomes a drag every day. There's another reason, um, and you talked about this, This uh, most companies have a deficit negativity kind of bias. We, talk, we talked about a human condition is that we have this negative negative kind of bias. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's employers or job candidates, a lot of us have that. And, and I think the strengths approach helps us to kind of shift to a much more kind of positive plane, which helps us to um, start thinking differently about ourselves, uh, start being more confident, um, think differently about opportunities uh, in our career, um, to think more expansively. Uh, so so it, it, it provides us, it opens up opportunity for us, which is very powerful. But there's a, there's a final reason, and this relates to weaknesses, because a lot of people say, well, you know, if I just focus on my strengths all the time and I ignore my weaknesses, then um, I, I'm clearly not going to be successful. I'm not going to get ahead. And the strengths approach does not mean, and I want to repeat this, does not mean <laughs> that you ignore your weaknesses. Quite the contrary. Through a better understanding of our strengths, we also understand our biggest sources of weakness, which are our overdone strengths. Because often what's perceived as our weakness is actually not a weakness at all. It's actually areas where we tend to overdo uh, our strengths or use them inappropriately or in the wrong way. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that. So somebody like me, who's very courageous, very bold, I can come across sometimes as overly challenging. Now, earlier on in my career, I used to get feedback on a regular basis that I was just too arrogant, I was too brash, I was too direct, I was too challenging, all those sorts of words. And some of these words actually hurt, you know, they kind of really deep down, they hurt me a lot, especially the word arrogant. Yeah. And then later on in my career, I realized when I started to discover the kind of strengths approach, I realized that actually, it was perceived as arrogance, absolutely. <clears throat> but it was actually that 
challenging nature um, that was tipping over and not being used with enough empathy. Um, and so I dialed up my empathy, um, reduced the courage in certain situations, the direct sort of challenge in certain situations, and that resulted in a much more effective use of, of those strengths. And, and uh, you know, I've been able to, um, uh, to, to get the most out of those sorts of situations now where I have to challenge, for example, people in positions of authority. Uh, very senior positions. So that's one example. Another example, maybe, for example, somebody who's very critically minded. This this comes up a lot in my coaching conversations. Critical thinkers are in short supply in organizations. And whenever I see people who have a critical thinking strength, um, you know, I, I, I get really encouraged because uh, it's about, you know, uh, uh, having critical thinkers in organizations who can help organizations uncover gaps, uncover risks, you know, and, and do things better. But often these people are regarded as as as, as negative, um, as people who are pessimists, who pour kind of cold water on good ideas, yes. um, and and uh, you know th- this is another example of a strength in overdrive because if a critical thinker is using that strength appropriately, then they won't be seen in that way. And one of the the um, the easy ways for critical thinkers to mitigate the the overdrive is just to kind of put their hand up in meetings and say, "I'm a critical thinker, and I'm going to help you to to spot gaps and weaknesses and flaws in arguments." So to signal that they're critical thinkers, and simply through signalling that they're a critical thinker, people won't always see them as the negative person, the negative force in the room, or the critical, you know, the the the, the pessimistic, overly critical person. Um, And then, of course, at times they'll need to dial down probably on their critical thinking. So there's another example of of how this approach can really help you to reduce what is going to probably be your biggest weakness in your career, your Mm -hmm. strengths and overdrive, but also to help you optimize and stretch your natural strengths um appropriately uh, and build skill and experience in areas of strength a lot of people and, and i'm so glad you raised the sport analogy renata because a lot of people they never think about stretching their strengths yes. building skill building experience building agility across situations in areas of strength what they think principally about is how can i reduce those gaps and yes. you know improve my weaknesses improving your weaknesses will only ever um, help you kind of avoid some of the obvious flaws and problems and, and so on. Yes. And, and you might achieve uh, uh, um, mediocrity, but it'll never help you, uh, you know, achieve peak performance. Your strengths are going to help you achieve. Uh, they're they're going to pave the way for that peak performance. Yes. Sorry, that was a long, long answer, no, but hopefully that's provided some good insight. Perfect. And I love all of your examples. And, you know, um, in my work as a coach, I think the most rewarding aspect is uh, these the first few weeks with a client when we are identifying the strengths. And I love seeing sometimes the surprise on their faces when they get the results, when they're really um, had never thought of uh, their strengths in that way. And we start unpacking what that actually means in a professional setting or even in a personal setting and how that can be translated in their job applications and conversations with managers and coworkers and the examples that you have mentioned are exactly the sort of things that I really enjoy doing. So thank you for sharing those. They're fantastic. 
It's a pleasure. Ronaldo, sorry, is that there's one more element that you've actually reminded me of that I forgot to mention, which is so important with the strengths approach. It's about not just understanding your strengths and your, you know, uh, uh, um, sort of overdone strengths, but understanding others. Because through understanding others, you can build complementary partnerships and teams. So um, you can't hope to be good at everything. It's not about being an all-rounder. And I always make this point to um, when I'm speaking to different groups, there is no such thing as an all-rounder. We all spiky by nature in terms of when I say spiky by nature, we've all got strengths, but we've also got weaknesses. Yes. Um, we've got peaks, we've got valleys. And so what's really important is to understand um, that and accept that, accept our vulnerability and call on others in areas where they've got great strengths. So, for example, I'm really weak at detail and organization, and I have to yeah. call on others to help me in those areas. Uh, I will never be great in those areas. Um, yes. But by calling on others and building teams of people that have those strengths, um, you know, we, we can get, uh, you know, anything done together. <laughs> anything Absolutely. becomes achievable. Yeah. And and a good way of translating that to a job hunting situation is, you know, at the end of a recruitment and selection process, you might have an amazing short list of candidates, two or three amazing candidates. They can they have all ticked the boxes. They're all in front of the decision makers. And um, the choice may be led by who they already have in their team. Absolutely. Who, yeah. Which one of those candidates will better fit with the existing team that, you know, the company has already invested in building a certain structure with certain people in it. And many times as the decision maker myself, I have chosen someone who I thought will play well with the people I had already hired. And, you know, I felt bad for the other two candidates. They were we equally impressive. Many times I felt more connected on a personal level with a candidate that I ended up not choosing because they were a lot like me, but we didn't need another person like me in the team. I, we needed somebody else with a different set of skills and strengths and experience. So this is the yeah. sort of thing I think, you know, when you're job searching and you're not chosen for a role after going through what can sometimes be weeks or months of recruitment and selection process. It's, um, it's important to know and to move on and bounce back quickly because it really is a matter of building that league, that group that performs well internally for the organization. Don't you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and this notion that and I think the discussions moved away from culture fit to culture add. And, and we're looking for people who can add something different, something new, something in terms of different, having different strengths, different perspectives, different ideas and so on to a team. Um, I think still, though, there's a natural kind of inertia, um, which is another, unfortunately, um, problem with most recruitment processes is people don't understand their own biases. And one of the natural kind of human biases is to recruit people in our, in our own image or in our, our own like, likeness. So people who are like us rather than people who are very different from us. Yes. And so we need to, uh, I think, especially the HR profession and recruitment uh, um, industry, they need to really challenge the hiring managers to think about that diversity, that especially that cognitive diversity. You know, yes. um, so uh, they should be asking about other members of the team 
and uh, what are the strengths of the other members of the team and what's going to complement those strengths? What haven't you got in the team that you should, you know, if you haven't got a critical thinker, bring in a critical thinker. If you haven't got a creative, bring in a creative. If you haven't got somebody who's empathetic and compassionate, you know, you should be looking for somebody maybe who's empathetic and compassionate. So these are the sorts of things that can be, you know, enormously helpful as part of that planning uh, to fill that role and deciding on the criteria for the, for the best candidate. Yes, oh, that's that's exactly right. Um, we need to start wrapping up, James. So do you have any final uh, advice for or words of wisdom for the job seekers out there listening? You know, it's it's really tough, uh, Renata. I, I remember when I first came to the UK, I spent um, six months looking for a job. Uh, it was a it was a very poor job market at the time, and I remember thinking, "Am I ever going to find a job? Am I ever going to find something that I, I really like and and I, and I, I want to do?" Um, and and I, and I think um, for me, it's about keeping the faith. Um, it's about um, recognizing your value and believing in yourself so that self-belief and then it's also about persevering and persevering in smart ways so you know all your your audience your job seeker audience uh, will know the importance of, of of persevering but it's about persevering in the right ways particularly um using multiple channels and approaches so don't rely on one approach you know don't rely just on recruitment agencies rely on, on a variety of different approaches. Networking, uh, I, I always think, is is probably the most powerful approach. Yes. So leave no stone unturned in terms of your network. And then last but not least, I think just ask for help. Yes. You know, don't feel that you're alone in this. Ask for help. I mean, I've got um, friends now who I'm helping to find jobs. Mm-hmm. And why do I do that? Well, because I know myself from my own experience how difficult it is. But I, I, I genuinely want to help them because they're my friends and I want to see them succeed. And most people will want to see you succeed and get that job that you um, you really want. So reach out widely. Don't be afraid to acknowledge your kind of your, your situation, your vulnerability. Um, and and yeah, get the support network in place to help keep you you know, buoyed up and, and, and motivated whilst you finding your next role. Excellent. Thank you so much, James. We're going to wrap up now, but don't go away because I want to chat to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much, Renata. Appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I have to admit, I was one of those nervous ones when it came to assessment centers and tests during recruitment and selection. I hope that this episode has helped you get ready for your job search. And if you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or in whichever platform you have found us. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to refer it to people that you know, friends, family members that you believe will greatly benefit from listening to the Job Hunting Podcast. It will be my great honor to share it with as many people as I can. Many thanks to you for supporting the Job Hunting Podcast. And until next time, 